Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Welcome back to On the Table Gaming, and this week we are going to be talking, as always, about A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. Now, Josh cannot join me today, so we're going to be joined instead by Greg Young from Rebel Lightworks, and we're going to talk a little bit about the free folks and tournaments and these new uh, OP kits, these organized play kits that are being made available. So, hope you enjoy. Greg, thanks so much for coming on. Greg Young from Rebel Lightworks. And if you haven't checked out his cool tactics boards and acrylic tokens and wood tokens, uh, please do. And also remember, there are on-the-table gaming branded options as well that are very stylish. So thanks so much for helping us put together some of that stuff. Yeah, well, you didn't mention that on-the-table gets an exclusive color option. That's true. We do have an exclusive color option, and it is beautiful. I have it myself. Uh, but you know what? What's also beautiful is um, these new kits you're coming out with. And uh, you sent me the the uh, the spring season kit. And so maybe you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, what are these, uh, I think what you're calling the OP kits? Yeah, the organized OP, play kits. Yeah, OP kit was kind of the like uh, nomenclature we use around the shop. Um, mm -hmm. We do a lot of FFG games where I'm from. And so we've gotten very used to calling it OP, which is FFG's organized play program. Uh, I believe Simon is is doing their own game night kit. Uh, we've seen the first game night kit. We haven't seen the second one yet. It's releasing in March, I think. Yeah, actually, um, uh, Michael Chanel, when he was on the podcast last, he I think he might have been talking pre-show about it. Uh, but that information about that is going to be dropping within like the next week or so. So this will oh, be cool. very right. timely to match up with. Uh, I hope that's not a. I hope that's a spoiler I can share actually. But uh, it's some some uh, the next big thing coming up soon. There's going to be some some talk about the the organized play for Simon. I'm I'm really excited to see what Simon wants to roll out um, for their own events. But when when talking to a lot of tos from X Wing and Legion and Rune Wars and all these other games that have strong company supported OP programs, they're always saying what I hear all the time is. Well, my players keep saying, I don't want to go to just another quarterly kit. I already have everything in that kit. And so the TOs were asking me if I could make something for them that's different from what they can get from the competition or from that parent company or anything like that. And so that got me thinking about doing something kind of cool and launching my own tournament support line. And so, you know, in your uh, spring tournament support kit, um, what, what can you expect to find? So in the spring kit, since we're celebrating the release of the Free Folk, we decided to theme it completely around Free Folk. So you're going to get a Free Folk premium tactics board made out of red aromatic sear with a really cool green inlay. You're going to get a set of movement rulers to match, and then you're going to get four sets of Free Folk objectives in a custom color, and then eight sets of Free Folk activation tokens in a custom color as well. So it's designed for a tournament organizer to to support top eight players in an event in conjunction with giving away physical prize support, like a free folk starter box or, you know, box of spear wives or with the game night kit, when that eventually comes out or whatever Simon wants to do. So it's designed to just supplement your events. So it's not a, it's not an, or thing. It's an, and thing. So if you, you end up getting the, exactly. the Simon information comes out and they're like, this is awesome. You can also pick up the uh, rebel Lightworks uh, OP kits as well. Exactly. And so now I noticed that you, you gave me that test set and I'm, I'm filming a video on it currently, actually. So stay tuned, everyone, to, to check and see what it looks like itself. Um, but I noticed that the, the wood was a little bit different with this kit. I mean, what's going on with that? 
that's one of the cool things with the premium kits. I'm actually using, I don't want to call them exotic hardwoods because the cedar's from the U.S., but I'm using <laughs> exotic wood to do them. So we've already launched our premium line. So it's the same thing you get when you order, order a premium board. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, for example, the Nightwatch has a really cool dark wood called Wench uh, mm-hmm. and with a silver inlay to match their colors. The Lannister's got blood wood with gold. The Starks are getting birch from the Baltics with a dark steel inlay. And then Free Folk are getting red cedar. Um, I decided to go with red cedar because no no two pieces of red cedar are ever going to look alike. Of any of the woods that I had available to me to, to do these premium sets in, cedar is going to have the most change in it. I think the, one of the ones you got is actually a really pale wood. Mm-hmm. If I, right. um, yep. I actually gave one away at my big event that I ran a couple days ago. Uh, as of this recording and that one was really dark it actually had like mm. yellow stripe running through it with a whole bunch of knots oh but, nice beautiful man yeah but the wenge the bloodwood and the birch they all look the same you really can't tell one individual piece apart from the other but every single one of the free folk ones are going to be very unique even when they're cut from the same board they're still going to be very unique and i thought have- that reflected the free folk really well yeah. Oh my gosh. It looks so beautiful. We're going to actually, at some point, actually off the podcast, we got to talk, talk some wood here because, uh, my father, I grew up, he's a, uh, a custom furniture maker. So he makes a lot of stuff by hand tool and, uh, we're gonna have to talk some cool wood ideas. I think there's some, some carbonized, uh, wood we can talk about or some other babinga or some other more exotic things. We'll, we'll have to talk about future kits here. Oh yeah. And, and if you want to do a premium on the table one, I'm sure we can find a, a nice Ooh. looking yeah there we go some tiger's eye or something but um yeah so people can so these are some things now that you do you buy these as an individual or is this something that really you you have your store purchased to help organize a scene around so i actually designed this kit in conjunction with something like four or five other to's that are running events on a regional level so i've been talking with a couple of to's out of minneapolis talking to a couple of the guys out of california another guy out of ohio you know they know who they are they all listen to the show and they were all asking me for this kind of stuff. And so we kind of talked amongst ourselves and decided that we wanted a larger kit to kind of kick this off. So this one, this kit actually costs $50, um, which is a little on the pricier end. But if you're, if you're having 12 people show up to your event and they're all willing to chip in $10 a head, that more than pays for the cost of, of the kit. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably will only do one of these big kits every year. We'll probably do four smaller kits going forward that are more designed for, you know, casual play night on Fridays or or whatever your local group does. And then hold one of these big kits for your local store, your gaming group to do a large prestigious event. Um, So we'll probably, this one, we decided to theme around the free folk. I'll probably do another one for like 2019. That'll be a little more, a little more just generic rather than themed. And then going forward, we'll probably do a kit that costs more like $20. That way it's a little more accessible. Well, I absolutely love the quality of it. I'm excited. I think this is going to be really helpful too um, for some of the, the the hobbyists that are more into like collecting items and they really want to get it all. Um, the one thing is like when you buy the new starter sets, I love them. You get so much value and I love my my free folk starter set that I have now. But uh, getting the same tactics board over and over again, that like little cardboard one, I've got like a stack of them now. I've got like four or five of these tactics zones and it's like, yeah. you know, that's a piece that, you know, it's nice to see some variation. They all look the same and, and getting the actual hardwood 
that looks it just looks more thematic and being able to have some some tournament prizes i mean that's going to be very very sought after so that the the event that i ran a couple days ago that i mentioned we actually did something really special so the local store that i'm one of the owners of we decided that we wanted to run what we're calling premier events so they Mm -hmm. are larger better bigger bigger batter price support events we're only running once a quarter rather than running once a month so we decided we wanted to blow price support out of the water with our first game of thrones event and we did a tactics board of each faction plus movement rulers plus a whole bunch of other stuff that we gave away we we gave away like a hand of the king set and stuff like that and what was really cool was the players really appreciated it because if you were a lannister only player Mm-hmm. You could go get your Lannister board. Yeah. And that was something that the players really appreciated. So these these premium boards, I've sold a few sets of them, but the TOs are really wanting them because mm-hmm. it's going to give their players something that they really want to go for. Especially if, so this premiere event, again, we celebrated Free Folk being released. We actually gave away a Free Folk starter. And so a lot of the players were like, I don't know if I want to play Free Folk. I'm not interested in the starter, but that Nightwatch board. I want yeah. that. <laughs> so it gave them a reason to still play to place really well so they had a better chance at getting mm-hmm. the prize they wanted, which is something that I'm always interested in promoting in tournaments is you want your prize pool to be something that the players are incentivized to keep playing for so they're not going to drop in the third round and just go right. home because they had a terrible day. Right. That's amazing. And how was the how did the tournament go? Like, what was the faction split? Did it seem like there was any faction favorites in your community? Um, so we didn't have any free folk show up, which is kind of sad. Uh, they were legal for the event. They had released the Thursday before. I know a couple of guys wanted to play them, but didn't get their hands on a second starter just yet or yeah. wanted to get a test game in so they knew their own rules or things like that. So I'm expecting to see a lot of free folk players when we go up to Austin, when they host the San Antonio crowd here in the next month or two. Um, Austin and San Antonio, we're so close, we're like an hour away. We're gonna flip who's gonna host events. Oh, that's awesome! Really nice. Yeah. Um, so we had uh, three Nightwatch players, five Lannister players, and four Stark. I have a full breakdown I'm gonna publish mm-hmm. with the uh, pairings and points scored and you know analysis and all of that here in the next week or two after I do all the network crunching on that. Uh, Nightwatch won the entire event. Uh, Colby went three zero. He got perfect scores in all of his, his events and he beat all of his opponents and he actually ended up winning the free folk starter set where he chose to win. Nice. Um, so hopefully he's coming over list. to the free folk side. Hmm. No, he traded it for a whole bunch of X-Wing models, actually. What? Sacrilege. Sacrilege. What? Oh, <laughs> he took the black and never looked back. Uh. <laughs> and I hate playing against his night watch list. It is so nasty. What is he running? Or do you want to so save that runs, for your reveal? Oh, no. I, I had no problem talking about his list. He runs Jon Snow as, a, as his commander. Mm-hmm. So he runs four units of Sworn Brothers. Jon is in one of them. Ghost and then the Ranger Cavalry with uh, Craster, Bowen Marsh, and um, Master Aemon as his NCUs. Ooh, triple NCU. Tri- triple NCU is pretty popular in San Antonio. Yeah, but triple NCU Nightwatch with – that's a, you're sticking a lot of value, man, with all those – Yeah. Yeah. That's what man. he does. Sworn is Brothers, he takes, yeah. Three of the Sworn Brothers pushes him forward as his front line, sends Ghost to go sit on an objective, sends the Ranger Cab to go sit on an objective, and a unit of Sworn Brothers to go contest the objective you're sitting on. Mm-hmm. So he's aggressively pushing your front line and playing the objective game all at the same time. That's amazing. It's oh. it's really nasty list. It takes three or four games of playing into it to understand how to take it apart. Um, I'm just now getting, because he's my primary opponent that I play. He and I play at least twice a week. 
Um, I'm just now figuring out how to dismantle his list, much to his chagrin. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, some of these, uh, have you seen any uh, Scorpion Builder crews on the table? So he proxied one in and I made him cry because I influenced it with Helen Reed every turn. Uh, and when it only rolls three dice, giving it minus one to hit hurts really bad. Yeah. I so I, I I slightly tempered his enthusiasm for it. So we'll see if he, if he plays it a little bit more when it gets its uh, North America release. Man, that's uh, that is uh, something I was testing out. And I was surprised at how good it was. Now, granted, I was playing as the Free Folk and Josh was playing as the Night's Watch. But all it takes is like a palisade and then the edge of the map to give it a, a much you know more difficult approach. Like you, you can't really get up to it fast, especially without cavalry and without being able to put my um, condition tokens on it. Yeah. It was a, it was a much bigger thorn in my side than I thought it would be. Well, especially with the free folk too, because either one of those profiles that it, the shooting profiles that it has is going to hurt you. Exactly. And if he can choose freely at will, he's always going to choose the more optimal one. Yeah. Um, I like his positioning on it. The, the edge of the table and a palisade is a really good choice to keep it protected. Um, yeah, I like that a lot. I'll have to try that. And yeah, I mean, it's just, and you know, you, you put a, you know, Sworn Brothers up there or something and the enemies, yeah. you know, essentially got to get caught up on them. Or even the Ranger Cavalry, because they have, they can hand uh, out that vulnerable token on community. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, oh, well, you're throwing, you know, this is all theoretical, but you're throwing so many, you know, six points of Sworn Brothers and a Scorpion Builder crew to make it work. And it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of how armies work, right? They all work in conjunction. And it just well, becomes. What you're what you would do is you'd stick an objective over there put oh, the yeah. sworn brothers on the objective and then use the scorpion because a, a sworn brother attack plus a scorpion shot is going to do significant damage to any target they can both hit right. so that's going to keep your sworn brother on that objective longer mm-hmm. occurring point yeah absolutely so it's it's pretty brutal so that'll be my yeah. new strategy is how to get to that as free folk how to how to, to beat them down but <laughs> we'll yeah see. i haven't played against free folk but uh my local free folk guy and i were chatting yesterday about the options like the tech that had they built into the faction and he's lamenting his lack of cavalry or dire wolves to normally handle those kind of problems but he's experimenting around with uh slingshotting raid leaders with the movement tactics cards yeah so you, you play a card I don't know what the cards do. I haven't looked at them yet, but what he was telling me is what he wants to try out is using one of the movement shenanigan tactics cards to move an unactivated unit of, of something forward and then use a raid leader and another unit to slingshot it before the other player can really get in the way of it. And he wants to try to use that to set up flanks as well as doing blocking. So that's the swift advance tactic card. When a friendly infantry unit activates, that infantry unit may make a free maneuver action. If you control so the maneuver tactic zone... You get plus one and may reroll charge distance. So you can start moving up with that. And then with um, Lady Val, you can you can uh, use any tactic zones as maneuver. And oh, you can really start to get some speed going. And, and that's the problem I'm having is trying to figure out how to balance this, though, because the raid leader lets you activate a friendly unit and it can attack a unit that you've already attacked. Or, you know. Okay. Um, okay, so raid leader still- is definitely second wave of that. Okay. Yeah, and it's so good being able to activate another unit. But um, if you have like an activation spam, if I have you know five more activations than you, when you are done moving things, it's almost as if everything has raid leader because yeah. I can move all my stuff uncontested. Um, so it's like you know, do I want to give up the early activations? Do I want to just outweigh you? 
Um, there's a lot of ways to play the faction, and I haven't quite found that like that perfect spot. I had a few moments in our game with Josh where um, I was activating like three units in a row, and they could just like <laughs> smash one unit. I was like, this feels awesome. Wait, can you other... chain raid leader? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh no. So oh, it'd be like gee. my unit activates, you know, it attacks you, and then it has a friendly unit charging the side, and then they activate the other one and charging the side. So I have three units that hit you. Uh, but now I'm down three activations, but hopefully I wiped out whatever it was with my gang up ability oh. or. Oh, geez, that's like going to that. be. Okay. I'll have to, I need to play against them. I'm hopefully going right? to get it's, game. It's so fun. And it, it just, it just feels like a blast to play, but then it's like, okay, so I did that. Or I could have waited three activations and yeah. I used all my troops to move when you had nothing left to do. Exactly. Yeah. It's really going to, you're going to have to get really good at reading game state. Absolutely. Uh, and this, I think, just I feel like the game is going in such a positive direction, though, with the faction design, and uh, it's make it's making you have to be more aware of the of the nuances. Yeah, not, one thing we saw here in San Antonio when Nightwatch dropped, we started seeing the composition of Starks and Lannisters completely changing. Yeah. And in my opinion, they changed massively for the better because units that had been shoved to the side because they weren't great started becoming reasonable uh, at this event you know, on Sunday. I think almost every list had a range unit of some kind, or mm -hmm. at least the guys that did, I was chatting with a couple of them and we all were telling each other, no, I brought a ranged unit to handle Sworn Brothers. Right. Because the problem with Sworn Brothers is they're so <laughs> efficient and you can bring so many of them. I can't go toe to toe with you. So right. if I can grab a unit of crossbowmen plus a unit of guardsmen, I can tip that balance a little more towards my favor. And the range units bring the flexibility to point them at the threat that they need to be pointed at rather than at the one right in front of me. Absolutely. And so we started seeing crossbowmen and stark bowmen getting played a lot more common after Nightwatch at the table. I'm wondering what's going to come into favor once Free Folk hit the table. Uh, I don't know. I feel like uh, one of the problems with the uh, Free Folk I'm having is so you got your Mance list or you got your Tormund list. And yeah. if you're running, was your event a, a two list tournament or did you bring one list and play it the whole time? No, we, uh, we did, I made the decision that I wanted to do a single list event, one to keep it a little more streamlined and two, I want, I want the unit pool to get a little bit bigger before I start running two list events. Yeah. So I think the one problem I had is in the, in the games we were practicing with the free folk. Um, the first game I played against Josh, we played on Feast for Crows mm -hmm. and it was so brutal. My army just melted. I, I accrued yeah. so many uh, tokens on me. And then even though they were insignificant, you know, I'm gaining tokens on myself just by being near the corpse piles and you hit the crown tactic. And I, you know, even just getting hit triggering a panic test near a corpse pile is so devastating. I realized, you know, optimally, I would really want to run a Mance commander on that, on that scenario. Oh, definitely. But I don't really, at this point, I don't really know if I could build a general, like an all comers list without Mance for that scenario. That was my only concern. And, you know, disclaimer for the you listening, I played, like, only a handful of games with Free Folk, and I'm still puzzling it out. So there might be a better way around on Feast for Crows than what I'm thinking, but it was a, it's a particularly brutal brutal map for, for Free Folk. Yeah, oh, and, and the, the changes to Feast of Crows are very necessary, in my opinion. Oh, um, yeah. the, uh, the new stacking modifiers for the activation mm -hmm. uh, uh, morale tests are awesome. Because they make it to where Berserkers, you know, for example, we were testing Feast of Crows and I just said, I'm going to play three units of Berserkers with a Storm, Sworn Swords unit and I'll put Brennan Tully in it. I'll never fail a check on the scenario ever. <laughs> hey, hey, you're never going to beat me. Well, all of a sudden, I'm not failing panic checks, but I'm failing the activation morale checks. Right. Even with those, you know, four plus morale stats on Berserkers, 
it was a great change. It really kind of leveled the playing field a little bit. We actually sat down and did some math puzzling on Feast of Crows, and we kind of set up to where uh, I make the six-inch movement sticks, and they're mm-hmm. really, really, really handy because on your first or second round, you just move up to your where you're a millimeter away from short range of them uh, because it buys you another turn of not making that check. That's the way before. to do it. And then when you when you, it's kind of like going through no man's land in World War One, you either <laughs> stay in the trench or you're in no man's land. You don't do this habsy nonsense until you get killed. Yeah, that's that's the problem I was having. And maybe it might be a skill issue I was having, but boy, it was a shocker. Uh, you know, getting hit with like a volley of arrows or something, and then being like, "Oh, there's a corpse pile near me," so it's an additional minus one, and I yep. already need to roll a eight. Oh God! <laughs> like, yeah. Well, you may with free folk, you may really think about grabbing two God's Woods and yeah. tossing them in here. Because one of my, oh my favorite God. things about competitive play in this game, at least from what I've seen, this is not in the official document. It's how I ran my mm-hmm. game, though. My event is you brought two pieces of terrain as part of your list. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that makes a big difference. So That's in huge. my Stark list, I was playing a very aggressive Stark list. I grabbed two Palisades, the, the impassable ones, because mm-hmm. I wanted to dictate my fights. So yeah. if I can create choke points or if I can put a objective right on my side of the palisade, my bowman to go sit on, I can dictate what fights I'm going to take. And with the way I have my Stark list tuned, I'm going to win that one-on-one fight as long as I get to do it on my footing. Absolutely. Um, uh, one of my, my good Lannister players around here, he played an all-cav list and he brought um, swamps because he wanted to slow his opponents down so we could keep getting multi-charges off his Knights of Cashley Rock. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. And so that's something that you may think about is actually bringing terrain as part of your list because terrain can make a big difference for that. Absolutely. And so you may think about grabbing a pair of Godswoods with your uh, a non man or the Tormund list just so you can kind of mitigate some of those minus ones, you know, off the of crown space, off corpse piles, all of that. I think, I mean, that's definitely going to be the way to go. Certainly, I won't be taking Palisades because those prevent me from yeah. getting around my, my, my swarm. Spikes. Nope, I don't want any of that. I'm frazzled enough as it is. You, you know, may take so. the headless bow. Yeah, maybe that would make sense. Because if you can slow your opponent down, I don't know. Yeah, I'll, you have to put it on the table and try them out. To think about it. Yeah, we got to do more more test games with scenery in mind, I guess. Oh yeah. Um, but I'm excited. Uh, you know, I think all the the uh, different NCU's, Lady Val, Craster. I realized also. Um, it's so important to have certain tactics cards as the the uh, free folk. Like, I really want to be able to have uh, uh, the card where I can redeploy my my unit and uh, what's that one called? The endless horde. And if I if I don't get to that card in the game, like that really sucks. So I've got to cycle through my deck. Craster really helps getting those cards moving a bit. Yeah, he does. And uh, and the great thing is I can use him as a denial piece, taking an enemy tactic zone slot that I don't want them yeah. to have, and still make some use for me. And it's really handy on the secret mission scenario as well, um, which is one of my favorites. I really enjoy that scenario. Um, it's really handy because you can still occupy the zone, but actually use Craster ability, which still works for the secret objective. That's that's true. Yeah. yeah. So I, overall, I'm just I'm thrilled with where the where the game is right now, and I'm glad the free folk are out, and I'm just looking to get as many games in as possible with them. There's still some like nuts and bolts for the army that like I don't quite get how to use. Uh, I was having trouble yeah. with the uh, the Free Folk Spearwives, which are a great unit for pushing out damage when necessary. They got the Spear Toss, so they're kind of a short-range unit as well. But their Spearwife Matriarch, the attachment, uh, their order is Swift Retreat. So if the unit's attacked in melee, the unit may make an immediate free retreat action. 
So you can bog down your opponent with your raiders, charge in, do your damage, and if they hit the speeder wives, they get to deactivate from that, you know, move out of that that pileup, and maybe even join another pileup or recharge in. Yeah, because they get the sundering on charge, right? Only on charge, yeah. So it's a crude Yeah, they spear. definitely want to be using that swift retreat option as much as possible so they can re-pick up sundering because that's your only reliable sundering keyword in the faction, right? right? Well, right. Torment hands out, though. Right, Torment helps out with that, too. Yeah. Uh, but the problem I was so having far, is that you can put him in, you can put Tormund in raiders or trappers right now, right? And that's it. Spearwives, it's redundant with him. So yeah. Uh, but the problem was is that you know Josh would just be like, well, if I hit them, it's going to help you, so I just won't hit them. Whatever units bogging me down, I'll just focusing on killing that. And it's like, okay, well, that means that I get to still keep attacking you, but I really want to disengage and recharge. So oh, it's like one of those things where it's like if the it's an ability that relies on the opponent making the mistake. But if I don't take it, then he's like, well, then I just kill your spear wives. <laughs> like I'm just going to slaughter them once they charge in. So it's like, I kind of want to take it so that I make it. So it's a discouragement for you to actually hit them. But yeah. now it's a six point unit and it's, it's a little bit, I think it's powerful in the army, but there are other enemy six point units that are, are a little bit scarier. So it's yeah. like, oh, I'm kind of stuck. Like it's either like really good if your opponent does what you want them to do, but I can't always guarantee that. So I, I'm kind of stuck on whether it's like amazing or or horrible or I, I don't know, maybe I'm not using it right yet. Well, um, you have my brain chunking now. And my first <laughs> thought was, uh, don't trappers have an, it's, it's an order where they can deal damage if things move near them, right? Right. So what if you put the matriarch in the trappers, try to get the switch retreat off, and if they threaten you again, you can get the trap damage. That's where it goes. So use Matriarch as a way yeah. to try and talk trap as many rounds as possible. That's and absolutely you know, where it goes. You can play around with that. So one thing I have noticed with playing with Starks is um, the unit, the units that the unit attachments come in, I don't ever put them in those units anymore. Yep. <laughs> uh, my, it's like they're flipped. Captain, my sword captains are laminated onto my berserker units right now. <laughs> berserkers vulnerable on a stick is incredible with berserkers. Yeah, I guess that makes sense here too. Then, huh? Yeah, just, I was the I spear wives. Like that. What I found was that like the free folk, I basically like, you just bog your opponent down. They can't retreat because you've got multiple units engaged with them. But yeah. then being able to just, like pull out your unit and like move it to another area on the board where you need to reinforce as your units start to weaken, that seemed really helpful and useful. Sure, but. We'll have to see uh, more games, I guess. That just means I get to play more. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're you're definitely in that lovely utopian um, society of new game of new army. Oh I just want to play every game I can. There is no bad list because you've only played the army twice. Right. Exactly. And and the yeah. uh, I'm now I'm just starting to experiment with dropping the two giants. Like I ran strictly two giant lists, and now I'm like, well, maybe actually I want another free folk trapper. Run two trappers, and then add some or more raid, raiders in and. So we'll we'll see. I'm also trying to paint as much of it up as I can, and I'm I'm yeah. terrified. I I don't know if you've ever done any uh, like ice like uh, crackle paint. Uh -huh. It's like yeah. And uh, I just tried doing their bases with that as like kind of drying, and I'm like, oh my god, did I ruin my bases, or is it gonna have a cool ice effect? We'll see. But lots of painting for me yeah. now that I've got with, you know with crackle effects. Make sure you let it cure the full 24 hours. Okay, it's sitting there. I'll yeah. wait more than it's like six hours yeah. in, so it's gonna be all yeah, night. Let it let the crackle paint fully cure, and I don't know which crackle paint you're using, but most of the ones I've used in the past, I've used the GW ones, I've used the Vallejo ones, That's and I've Vallejo. used the Liquitex ones. Um, more is better. The, okay. the, the thicker you glob it on, the deeper the cracks you're going to get. 
Oh, that's good. Okay, I think I went a little thick, so I'm hoping it wasn't too thick. We'll we'll see. Yeah, you but should be fine. I'm excited. And have you been handing out okay with the cold weather? Then you're not getting hit with that. You know, uh, I feel like the free folk game, and then this Arctic blast came. I'm in New England, not so bad, but they're saying like negative seventy degrees with wind chill over in like Chicago and. Yeah, Chicago's colder than Antarctica. Yeah, <laughs> good God. Yeah, Sorry, listeners I mean, like, out it, there. Sorry. Yeah, just pour one out for Chicago. Definitely. Uh, I live in Texas, so it's very cold here. It's 43. It's freezing. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to leave the house. <laughs> That's still shorts weather. What are you talking about? No, no, no. Shorts weather. <laughs> no. no. Uh, but man, all right. Well, you know, I think we'll have a little bit shorter episode this week because uh, we are missing Josh. But next week, we're going to be actually talking through the rules update version 1.2 and the FAQ that just dropped today. So make sure yeah. you check in for that. And, um, you know, if you haven't I checked out that, Rebel uh, Lightworks, make sure you get over there. Yeah, I know that that FAQ drop sent my local playgroup all a buzz. There were some interesting things in there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think. And if you've got uh, ideas for rules or questions about rulings, feel free to email them into on the table gaming at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to hear some of your corner case scenarios or weird things that come up. If you got a diagram of how, how things are charging and how you want to work out, you know, send the picture too. And uh, oh, I've, I hope... got a, I've got a great one for you from our event. I'll actually send over to you. Okay. What, what was the scenario? Give me a preview here. Okay, so I was playing against Rusty with his Cavalry Lannister list. He mm-hmm. had a unit of Flayed Men, and then adjacent to it, a unit of Knights of Castle Rock, and then another unit Knights of Castle Rock. I had uh, a unit of Berserkers, which was like the big thing that was, was going on. So I, he extends his Flayed Men a little too far. I play Swift Advance, and then devastating. I tutor Sansa for devastating impact. Mm-hmm. So I play Swift Advance to give him the six inch maneuver. And then I play Devastating Advance with Sansa on the maneuver space so that they get the guaranteed six inches on the die yep. roll. I end up getting into the flank of his flayed men Ooh. with the berserkers without him actually expecting it. Mm-hmm. Then the flank, I'm, I'm pretty sure we have pictures of it. Um, got into the flayed men. And we ended up sitting up at a point where the problem was he wanted to charge the berserkers with his unit of, of Knights of Cashley Rock. But because of how the trays were aligned, he could not end up there in a legal position. So he could not declare a charge. We weren't quite sure on it. We do know that if you you try to align center to center or 50%, we know that 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 is a thing in the rule book. We also know that if you cannot align like that, then you do the best you can. But the conundrum in the edge case is under the checksum for declaring a legal charge there are two or three things that you have to check before you can declare a charge the first one is is the enemy inside your line line of sight arc and the second one is can you legally fit your tray right. against the unit so we determined that he could not legally fit his tray because he could not do the proper alignment so we weren't sure which one of those two rules would take precedent would the would, is, is it the checksum for you cannot charge because you can't fit, or would the alignment modifications um, check in? We weren't quite sure which one it was. Uh, we ended up settling it randomly, and I won. And we he did not charge me. That's okay, because the flayed men kill off the berserkers, and then the knights cash rock did, came, did other things. Later. <laughs> <laughs> There's other hor- horrible, horrible things that they do. Oh, in, in that game, the Berserkers went on a massive killing rampage, and they killed like three units, so I was okay losing them to some flayed men at that point. 
Well, if you're listening in uh, and you think you have a resolve to that situation, uh, your interpretation of the rules, or you definitively you just know how it should have been played, uh, send it in to us, and uh, we'll we'll read your responses and talk through it on the next episode. And uh, yeah, with that, what I can do, I, yep. What I can do is I can send you the pictures, Chase, and then oh, you can publish perfect. those. That way, people can reference the pictures, and that way, you're not trying to go off my faulty memory. Yeah, that'd be great. We'll put them on the Facebook page. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, and I hope you get your miniatures on the table.